you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13 and a little bit back in chapter 12 today. So uh, that'll be clear. It's on your handout. If you have your handout where you take notes, the scripture is going to be there. It's going to be Hebrews 13, 18 through 25, and then we'll drop back to Hebrews 12, 28. We do live in a blessed country, don't we? We have been blessed beyond measure. Our country for many years has prospered. We have many freedoms even today that many do not have in the world. Uh, unfortunately, many in the world do not have the freedom to speak out. They don't have the freedom to assembly. They don't have a freedom of religion. They, leave, they uh, live in totalitarian type governments where they don't have those freedoms, but for some reason, God in his wisdom has allowed the United States to kind of be a beacon of those to the rest of the world. And so no, I know that I'm very thankful today for what we have, and it's all really aimed toward God, right? When we talk about being thankful, uh, unless we're being thankful specifically to a certain person, we're, we're assuming that there is a God who is providentially working all these things out for our good, and that is the one whom we are thankful to. I think even those who are atheists might have to concede that, that when we say we're thankful on Thanksgiving, that that is directed toward God. It's just not thankful for certain things that have happened, but we're thankful to God. So uh, I am glad to be here and be able to share what I am thankful about from the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 to rejoice, always pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. I told my uh, one of my classes at the high school this past week, I, I read this verse as part of devotional time, and I said, I like this verse because it tells me exactly what God's will is for my life. You know, so many times people wonder, what is God's will for my life? And by that they're meaning, well, what is my, what is my occupation going to be? What, what, what is my next job? What is my ministry within the church maybe? And there's a lot of question about that. But if we do everything that the Bible says we're supposed to do, I think those things will, will just fall into place, right? <laughs> there's so many things that we're commanded to do and giving thanks is one of those, that if we just pay attention and do what the Bible says, then those larger questions I think will be answered. But I did want to uh, talk about being thankful today, and some of you are thankful that this is the last message in Hebrews. <laughs> it is the last message in Hebrews, and, and I thank you and, and uh, just want to express my gratitude for sticking in there as we go through Hebrews. It's been a long haul going through the book of Hebrews, but it's for a purpose, right? We go through books for a purpose. That's so that we can get the context of the whole book and that we're understanding it, not out of context, context, but in the context. And so that's why I preach mostly scripture to scripture, um, but we may do some other things as well. But I'm thankful that this is the last message in Hebrews and it's going to be a good one. It's reasons to be thankful from the book of Hebrews. 
So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read this last part of of the scripture uh, that we haven't read yet. And then I want to go back to Hebrews 12, 28. And that'll kind of be our center, central verse for today. So the author says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may be able to do his will, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he come, if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace and peace with all of you. And then back a chapter to Hebrews 12, 28. This is a verse that kind of caught my attention about being thankful. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to go through the book of Hebrews and maybe way back at the beginning, we've even begun to forget some of those things, but it's a good reminder to go through these, these scriptures and see what we have to be thankful for today. And we have so many things to be thankful for, but these are specific things that have to do with our salvation. The most important thing that we can consider is when we die, what will happen to us? And the book of Hebrews answers that question, that if we have faith and trust in Christ and we've repented of our sins, that we can spend eternity with God in heaven, having all of our sins forgiven and being reconciled with God. So we pray that you would help us as we go through this kind of summation of the book of Hebrews, that we would understand it, that our eyes would be open, that we would remember that Jesus is better than all things. And we pray that you would help us to see the overall message of Hebrews, that yes, he is better, and that makes a difference in our everyday lives. Let us then be truly thankful and offer an acceptable worship to you today. And so we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So today we want to be giving thanks for the message God has given to the Hebrews and also to us. So this is a message that was written thousands of years ago uh, to a group called the Hebrew people. And yet it is a message for us today. God's word says that very clearly, that the Bible is not just something that has uh, existed for a couple thousand years and it's old and it's not relevant to us today, but it is relevant to us today. And we have many things to be thankful for, things specifically from the book of Hebrews. And in fact, there's so many things that there's no way that we could go through all of them today, right? We would have to go back and do that study all over again. 
We're not gonna do that, so we're gonna pick about seven things that I felt like I should be truly thankful for from the book of Hebrews. You could go through this and you could pick out other things that had impressed you. This is what has impressed me. So it doesn't mean that the meaning changes, it just means that the book of Hebrews is so full of good things that we would have different lists. So the first thing that I came up for is that we are thankful that Jesus is our creator savior. He is our creator savior. Amen. We talked about this in Sunday school about how God is our creator. And when I think of him being a creator and why that's important in my life, it means that he knows me intimately. He knows me inside and out. He knows both the good things and he knows the bad things. There's nothing that is hidden from the eyes of the Lord, right? And for some people that gives them great consternation, I guess, or worry that God knows. But when you have Jesus Christ on your side, when you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, then you, it gives you great hope and joy that he knows us that well. But let's look at the, what the Bible says again. You don't have to turn there, but I want to refresh you about who this person Jesus is, that he's our creator, savior. And I just want to read three verses, and you'll recognize them because they're very, uh, very well-known verses. They're the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. It says, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and upholds and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We have this Old Testament, right? The latter part of this book. You know, I'm in the book of Hebrews right now. It's, it's all the way toward the back. But most of this in the front is the Old Testament. And God spoke to people through prophets and then they wrote those things down in this book. But he says, I'm gonna do something special. I'm gonna send my very own son who also is your creator. And he is going to speak to you. He is going to teach you and he is going to eventually die for you and serve in that way. And so all things were created through Jesus. He is not a weak savior, but a powerful savior. Some people say, well, in, in fact, a lot of uh, people from other religions will say, well, Jesus is a weak person because he died. But we know that he died of his own volition, right? He gave up his life willingly for us, that through him we might have salvation. He is not weak, but he is all powerful. In fact, the scripture that I just read says that he is greater than the angels, mighty beings who live in the heavenly realms. He is even greater than them. He is not an angel himself. He is the creator of angels. He's greater than Moses. And the people of the, of the Hebrews would have thought that this was amazing because they revered Moses above all other people. And it elevates Jesus once again 
higher than just a man. He is our creator and he is our savior. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. Joshua, who entered the promised land and all the conquests were done under Joshua's reign. Jesus is greater than Joshua. He's greater because Joshua only offered a physical kind of rest. Jesus offers us eternal rest, a rest from our labors, a rest from trying to earn God's favor. We have God's favor because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He offers an eternal rest. He is powerful. Jesus is this. Jesus is power, powerful to save us and to keep us saved, right? <coughs> Amen? Everybody with me out there? Yes. He's powerful to save us and he's powerful to keep us saved, all those who come to him. And today I'm very thankful that, save, that Jesus, my Savior, is also my Lord, and I surrender all to him. Yeah. That's the proper response, right? Not, not bringing glory to myself in any way, but that is the proper response, is that to someone who is your creator is to surrender to them. I'm also thankful that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. You might say, well, why does he need to intercede and who does he intercede between? Well, he intercedes between ourselves and God who is wrathful against our sin. Amen? We believe this. This is what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter two says that before we came to know Christ, we were not children of God. We were children of his wrath. In other words, because of our sin, God was looking down with us with judgment and wrath, but also love. Amen? Also love. God can do that. He can be wrathful at us because of our sin. He can love us at that same time and have the willpower and the ability to do something about it. And so he sent Jesus to be someone who would intercede on our behalf. I often try to imagine this in my, in my mind. I used to use a, a picture of the Hoover Dam as an illustration of this, but imagine yourself, most of you have seen pictures of the Hoover Dam. It's about as high as the, the arch in St. Louis, right? I don't know if you knew that or not. If you've been to St. Louis, you've seen the arch. That's about how high Hoover Dam is. And so if you're at the bottom of that, you have approximately three, 400 feet of water just on the other side of this wall that if that wall was not there, you would be utterly destroyed. And that's what I mean when I say that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He is that Hoover Dam who is holding the wrath of God back from us, who justly deserve God's wrath. You see, Jesus is no priest like Aaron was a priest. Aaron was of the line of the Levites, but Jesus is of a different order, and it talks about him being of the order of Melchizedek. Now, this Melchizedek was a strange character. We don't know about much about him. We just know that we don't know his beginnings and we don't know his endings. It seems like he's eternal. Jesus is like that. Jesus, as being our creator, had no beginning, right? Because God has always existed. He has no ending because God will always exist. And so he is uniquely situated in order to be 
and intercessor on our part. He sits at the right hand of God right now, a place of power. His sacrificial work is done because he is sitting down. When he sits down at the right hand of the, uh, of the majesty, that means his sacrificial work is done. He has paid all the debt that will ever be paid. Amen? Amen. His, his blood is precious and it paid for all of that sin. And so Jesus is one priest for all time since he lives forever and cannot die. He did die. He died on the cross, but he rose from the dead, signifying that his sacrifice on God's behalf was acceptable. His intercession is permanent and eternal, not fleeting and temporary. Hebrews 7.26 says it this way, For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest who is Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This merely says that Jesus was innocent, unstained by the world, and therefore, since he had no sin, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because of these qualities, Hebrews 7.25 says that he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There's never a time in the future where Jesus will not be there to make intercession on our behalf. He will defend us against Satan. He's called the advocate sometimes. That's another word for Jesus. Satan is called the adversary. If you think of a trial situation, Jesus is our defense attorney. Satan is a prosecuting attorney, and he goes there daily prosecuting against us, Satan does, saying, God, look at this sin, look at this sin. How can you tolerate this sin? You are a holy God. And Jesus intercedes and says, I paid for that sin. He can go free. And so there's a common term that I think is especially true about Jesus, but Jesus really does have our backs, right? He really does have our backs. He watches out for us. He intercedes for us. And for this, I am eternally thankful. Amen. We also should be thankful that Jesus is a better sacrifice. What type of sacrifice is he? Well, Jesus is just one sacrifice, right? He's one sacrifice that's sufficient for all time. I'm glad <laughs> that we don't live in the time of Moses and the time of uh, the tabernacle and the temple where there were sacrifices continually going on. It must have been a horrific sight, and I won't go into much detail, but to have those animal sacrifices on a daily basis must have been a horrific sight. But it shows you the extent of our sin, doesn't it? It shows you uh, just the terrible consequences of our sin, both temporally and also eternally. Sin is important. It must be dealt with. And we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's true that we all need this. We all need a better sacrifice. The animal sacrifices had to be offered repeatedly and continually. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because first of all, he was without sin. 
He's eternal and he does not need to repeat his sacrifice. He sacrificed once for all time. It's not the blood of goats and calves that will allow our sins to be forgiven, but it's the blood of a man, Jesus Christ, his very own blood. Hebrews 10, 12 through 13 says it this way, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14 goes on, it says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Are you being sanctified? <laughs> you're being perfected for all time. If you're going through the process, there's a process by where we as Christians become more and more and more like Christ. He challenges us through his word. We either fall short of his word and then we confess that and repent of that or we are living up to his word, but he's molding us into the image of Christ. And when we are going through that process, it is a sign that we have truly been born again and being perfected for all time. Jesus is the best, best sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. Amen. We are thankful that through Jesus, we have a new and better covenant. We have a new and better covenant. The scripture says that this is because that those who are called might receive the promised internal, eternal inheritance. You see, the first covenant didn't work out too well. The first covenant was a covenant under Moses and the covenant was conditional. God would provide certain things. We were required to do other things. The problem was not the covenant, the problem was not the mosaic system. The, pro the problem was not the law. The problem was us. We never lived up to our conditions of the covenant. And so God, I make it sound like this didn't work and then therefore God came up with this next plan. But this, this plan really is from eternity past, right? He did that to show us we can't do it in ourselves. We can't save ourselves, right? It's not by works that we're saved. And so we have this second covenant or this new covenant, the one that Jesus, when they took the cup, when we do the Lord's Supper and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood, this is the new covenant. He said, I've got to do something that meets the need of the people and overcomes their inability to be obedient to me. <coughs> And this is the covenant whereby we are given a new heart because ultimately the problem is within us. It's our heart. Our heart will always go astray. It will always turn to the other side and turn to other gods. We see this over and over and over again in the Old Testament. People would offer sacrifices and then they would immediately go and offer sacrifices to other gods. And, and God was very upset with this because he wanted to be the only their only God. He is the only God, right? In fact, and so this new covenant is described for us in a couple places in the Old Testament. And we've read this before, but it's worth reading again, both in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. 
In Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their for, or the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So I'll just stop right there. This covenant in God's eyes was pictured as a marriage between Israel and before God. And they were constantly in an adulterous relationship with other gods and other nations, other countries. He made this covenant with them, but they broke that covenant. So what is God going to do? He says in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, for this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my law within them. It's not gonna be on stone tablets any longer. I'm gonna put my law within them, within their heart, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26, just one verse. Promise of this same time says, and I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, in the Old Testament times, and for all people, really, the heart of a person is cold. It's like a stone toward God. It doesn't respond the way that God wants it to respond. And so he says, I will take out that heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. So aren't you thankful for that today? We talk about miracles. That is a miracle. For God to take out a stone, a heart of stone, and give us a heart of flesh. One that wants to serve him, who loves him. And it's not by works. We're thankful that salvation is by faith, not works. Chapter 11, the great uh, faith chapter, we saw many illustrations of Faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's people stepping out on faith, believing and trusting God. People such as Abraham, people such as Moses and David. But salvation is not by our works. It's not by us doing enough to make it into heaven, but it's by faith alone. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That washing and regeneration of the, and renewal of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that we've been talking about as far as the new covenant. He has done that in us. It's by faith. Salvation is by faith and not works. And so say there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ as, as Savior. They might ask, what do I need to do? 
And would my answer be, well, you need to go to church so often, and if you go enough times, then you're going to be saved. Or, or if you give so much money, then you will be saved. Or, or if you treat your family better, then you will be saved. No, the answer is place your faith and trust in Christ, right? It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And that gift is wonderful. It means that we become children of God in, deed, in truth. We become children of God. And as a child of God, one of the things that we're thankful for is God's loving discipline. We learned this in Hebrews chapter 12. Are you thankful for your earthly father's discipline? Oliver's not shaking his head. <laughs> but when you grow up, right? When you grow up and you look back at how your father, if he was a good father, obviously we're not talking about any kind of abuse, but if, if he disciplined you, if he told you right from wrong, you look back now and you think, what a wonderful thing that was. Amen. And that's exactly what God does for us. As his father, uh, he looks at the long-term rather than the short-term gain, right? He's looking long-term. He's looking at molding us into the image of Christ. And so he disciplines us whom he loves. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, if you're not receiving this kind of discipline, then you're not children at all. Within the whole book of Hebrews, also, I love this about the book of Hebrews. A lot of people don't like this part about the book of Hebrews. But he lovingly, through the book of Hebrews, warns us throughout the book of Hebrews uh, with these warnings that keep the true believer on the right path. We saw that in the book of Hebrews, right? Several different warning passages that if you do this, it looks like you might not really truly be saved. And so it tells us to look at our life, examine our life, make sure that you are really saved, make sure that your trust really is in Christ because they were wanting to go back to Judaism and we don't understand that why they would want to do that other than it made them comfortable, they were used to it, the animal sacrifices gave, gave them uh, comfort. And then finally, I had down for my last one, we are thankful that God equips us to do his will. We've not talked about this one because it's in our reading today. But it, the verses say, now may the God of peace, this prayer, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants to equip us to do his will. That's what this prayer is about. He wants to equip us so that we're not alone and not doing this in our own strength, right? We do have things to do as a church, right? As individual believers, he calls us to do certain things. It's not as though works are not important. They just don't save us. But they are evidence that we are truly saved. And so we should be thankful that he is willing to equip us to do his will. Verse 28 of chapter 12, once again, in closing. Therefore, let us be grateful 
for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and therefore let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. This world is shaking sometimes, do you think? <laughs> so many uh, uncertainties in this lifetime and in this age in which we are living that it feels as though the earth is shaking. What the Bible calls good, many people call bad. What the Bible calls bad, many people are calling good. The earth is literally shaking from earthquakes at an increased rate. And sometimes a Christian can feel unstable if we focus on the world. But according to this scripture, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Isn't that good news? Why can it not be shaken? It's shaken because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are tied to him. Those of us who have a belief and trust in Christ, we are united with him in something that will never be torn apart, can never be torn apart. And so, although the world today is shaking, our kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is not shaking. Everything is going right on plan to bring this thing to a climax. And we must be ready for that, right? We must be prepared. We must be prepared as Christians. We must be prepared to go and tell others about Christ. Tell them that Jesus is sufficient. His cross is powerful, amen? The cross of Jesus Christ is powerful. It changed everything for us. And through our belief and trust in him, we can have life eternal and we can have assurances that we will be with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for these words from an author whom we do not know. And yet he speaks with such wisdom that uh, this should be a book that we read regularly and meditate upon because it's clear that this world will not satisfy us. We will not find our contentment in the things of this world. We will not find our contentment in money or material things or even other relationships, but we will find contentment and satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ the one who has loved us so much that he offered himself up for us. Through believing and trusting in him, we might have eternal life. Help us to surrender all to him today. Thank you for the cross which made this all possible and work in our congregation today, bringing us closer to you. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. amen.